Hi folks, on this episode we speak to Tim Bass, co-founder and CEO of Block8 Technologies. Block8 partners with startups, enterprise and government agencies to create new products and services using distributed systems. Tim has worked in the technology sector for 16 years, and he talks to us about Block8's journey from incubator to venture building with blockchain. He describes how they found their place in the industry, some of the challenges they faced working with early stage startups, and the opportunity and sometimes misunderstood role blockchain can play in new ventures. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Tim, thanks so much for joining me. I'd love for you to tell me, you know, your story, you know, where, where you started in this in this game, I guess I guess software, but but it'd be great if you could go back before crypto and, and tell me about how you arrived at uh, at blockchain and, and the kind of work that you're doing now. Yeah, totally. Um, so good to be here. Um, so I was in IT for, geez, about 12 years before um, we started Block 8. Um, and during that time, to be honest, I was just in love with computers. So I, um, I went down the sort of Microsoft infrastructure um, road. Uh, so I learned you know, initially how to build computers, how to um, build servers. And then I ended up doing a lot of data center and cloud work. Um, and that was really fun and I worked for some great companies. Um, but during my time doing that, I discovered crypto in 2013. Um, and I remember, um, being completely blown away with this idea of, I mean, the internet is already super cool and, and so are servers and computers. But then I, I sort of imagined a world where you could build applications that are like not even global scale, like potentially like, um, you know, universe scale. Um, and that really got me excited. So um, initially I was just speculating. I did a lot of mining in 2013, 14. Um, I bought a whole bunch of mining rigs and I, I went <laughs> head first into it. Um, nice. So I was, yeah, I was working full time um, sort of building solutions and, and, and enjoying that, but really in a hurry to get home and play with my mining rigs and scripts and a bunch of things that, I was doing back then. I've got to say, I didn't. I didn't expect Dogecoin <laughs> to be worth what it is now when I was mining it. I should have kept some. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that, that was super exciting. But really, I couldn't do it as a as a career. So I sort of doubled down on um, Amazon Cloud certifications that I was doing back then. Uh, and then I came back up for air in um, twenty fifteen. Probably, I think it was early twenty sixteen. Um, and I started paying attention again as you know the market started to recover because obviously the bear market um, in 2014-15 was brutal. Um, anyway, so then I then I discovered Ethereum, and that was the moment I'm like, wow, okay, so we can now build programs and and smart logic on a distributed ledger. Okay, now I'm interested. So I essentially mm. spent every Saturday with some of my um, now co-founders on a whiteboard trying to figure out what we're going to do with this thing. And so where we landed was, um, you know, my co-founder, um, he was in venture capital. And so he saw a massive opportunity for us to um, effectively support, invest and build startups in this emerging sector. Um, and I always sort of compared it to, you know, the internet era where I was not in the workforce at this stage, right? So I felt like I kind of missed those early dot-com um, projects and some of those killer apps that, that came along in the late 90s 
So this felt like the time um, that that I missed then, but it was in blockchain this time. So yeah, we we essentially uh, came together um, and we built Block Eight. So Block Eight um, back then was much more of an incubator. Today it's more of a venture mm. studio. But the idea was it's a rising tide. There's a whole bunch of excitement. We don't know who's going to win and what these killer apps are going to look like. But if we can, um, you know, invest and build and be a part of these exciting projects from the ground floor, then that would be awesome and fun. Um, and we would, we would finally be one of the, uh, I guess, OGs in this space. Um, and so that sort of took us, um, to quit our jobs, uh, throw a little bit of money in and start the company. And um, it's been almost six years now. And we're about 60 people across two countries. Um, and yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. Yeah, well, 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 let's get into that. I mean, that's sure. a great that's a, that's great framing of, of, you know, where it started for you. I guess it's like interest in the possibility, um, especially the possibilities of general purpose blockchain mm. uh, and Ethereum. I think, yeah, that was that was very exciting for me as well. And I, 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 I relate to the way you um, experienced that <laughs> realization. Um, so yeah, why don't we go back? You, you did make a distinction between, you know, the earlier stage of, of blockade and the later. Be cool if you could tell the business, maybe um, it's up to you if you want to start start at the back or start at the front. But sure. um, yeah, it'd be great to get a feel for what you guys have done and, and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, totally. So we, I think we were um, excited, but we didn't know what our product was or what sort of company we wanted to be. I mean, a- initially we felt like, coming from sort of a professional services background that we would be able to, you know, at least uh, design and build applications for, for other people and that would be good, um, honest work. Um, but where it really sort of changed for us, um, so we went to Consensus in 2017 and we went as part of the Trade mission, uh, which is the Australian sort of delegation with um, a whole bunch of cool, interesting startup people. Um, and we entered into the consensus hackathon, um, myself and, and a bunch of other really cool dudes, um, just as a laugh, to be honest. And we actually won it, which was like completely, I've never been in a hackathon before. We won this thing, um, which is really cool. And, um, we got a lot of, I guess, um, press and coverage from that. Um, what was the project back then? What did you guys build in the, in the, in the, in the couple of days, whatever? Yeah. So what we built, uh, autonomous, it was like autonomous uh, black box. So you know when a, when an airplane crashes, they look they look for the black box. Well, mm. so what we did, we we had a combination of autonomous vehicles. So this is our hypothesis. In in the in the future, there would be um, a large percentage of cars on the road will be self driven by computers, and uh, they largely self organize based on where they are in relation to another car. Um, but you know, what do you do when they have accidents? Um, or when a small percentage of the population is still driving their own cars and there's an accident, like who do you believe? So what we did, we had these proximity uh, sensors around a car, and in our case it was a drone. Um, and what it would do is it would it would log lodge um, sorry it would log its location on um, like Google Maps, something like this, and it would effectively create a an event um, whenever it was hit by something, and that. That event would be um, would be recorded on a private blockchain in our hackathon, but any blockchain, and then that would show a GPS coordinates um, where the accident happens, what part of the car, or in this case a drone, was hit, uh, and it would just be some interesting, um, 
I guess, data for an assessor or some sort of insurance company to figure out what really happened. And so we did, um, it was very, very small amount of blockchain in that, but it was, I guess, an interesting coming together of a bunch of ideas. You know, we had GPS, we had drones, we had uh, some cloud analytics, um, and we obviously had some blockchain events being recorded. Um, and it was in the context of a smart city hackathon theme. So I think the, the judges sort of saw this sort of coming together of different themes um, in this sort of, you know, theoretical universe, maybe in 50 years or something, and, and they liked it and it won. So That's cool. um, it was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, so we, we got quite a bit of um, mainstream attention from that, particularly in those days in 2017. Uh, and what happened was um, Kane Warwick, who's the founder of Synthetics, uh, reached out um, said, hey, we're building this project called Haven. It'd be great to work together. Um, so we actually met Kane uh, through that, um, I guess, event. Not, not he wasn't there, but he but he reached out because there really wasn't anyone in Australia doing anything like us. Um, and he was basically our second customer. And so um, at that point, you know, we were building um, a pretty different and, and cool project, much much more different than your traditional software build. Um, and that project is what really put us on the map to be honest. So um, back then, Haven was a, a really successful ICO. It raised $30 million. Um, and we designed the protocol. We wrote the first nine versions of the white paper. We did the first two main net releases of the protocol, did a bunch of agent-based modeling, worked with some economists in Switzerland. So it was a really good piece of academic um, and, and protocol mechanism design work. Um, and then at that point, we thought, wow, like, you know, this could be our business model. We could work with really cool startups like this. Um, we could invest or co-invest with them, um, you know, and the idea uh, eventually evolved into this sort of zero to one, right? So where someone comes through with an early stage idea and, and potentially a small amount of capital and we sort of help them get to one. And one might be, you know, in the case of Haven, it might be you know, raising capital and hiring its own staff. And that's, that's awesome. Uh, or it might be, you know, getting a product in market or being post revenue or, or partnership or something to that effect. And so, um, that project has really, um, I guess, um, demonstrated since really some of the, some of the good work we've done in, in uh, crypto. Um, and yeah, that kind of put us on a path, to be honest. So since then, we've done, geez, almost 20 ventures. Um, we've built a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, but yeah, it really started from, from that consensus hackathon. That's, that's amazing. And did you go on and, and, and is that relationship with, with, with Kane and SNX, did that, did that persist? Yeah. So we worked together for a total of nine months, um, which is about, was about six months leading up to the ICO and three months afterwards. Um, and three of our guys actually went across and ended up working, um, at Synthetics. Um, the good thing about being invested in a project like that is we've got the same sort of skin in the game, if you like. Mm. So, I mean, the, the professional services work we do is is, is great and, and we um, you know, obviously charge for our time, but it really powers in comparison to what a project can do when it really goes on to be successful. So um, for us, we were happy to see that grow and scale and, and some of our guys went across to it. So, yeah, I think um, they've done amazing things. I think they're probably the most underrated an underpriced project in crypto, in my humble opinion. Um, but yeah, that, that definitely was a win for us. 
why no, I had Kane on earlier earlier um, last year on this podcast. So anyone who's listened to this one could go back and listen to that chat with Kane because it talks about that transition from his thinking about Haven and then and then SNX that kind of you know blossomed out of that as really an yeah. abstraction of the idea, um, which is really cool to to hear him talk about. But even cooler that we can get to talk to you who, who helped him build it. Yeah. Well, look, and full credit to them for the synthetics pivot was definitely all Kane. Um, I think where you know I like to. Um, I'm, I'm quite proud of the mechanism and the two token system and sort of, you know, the over collateralization. All of that stuff, um, persists in the protocol to now, uh, even to now. Um, uh, but there are constant improvements. I mean, even recently they've introduced a far better liquidation model, um, which will probably get copied a lot in the ecosystem. Um, but yeah, look, for us, like I said, when you're on the same side of the table and you have, you know, an interest in the token, then yes, you're happy to see it go and grow and, and be its own thing. Wow, liquidation models. I mean, <laughs> we could no, talk about that fine. for the rest of this <laughs> this com- this podcast, especially given how topical uh, liquidations are, g- given what we're seeing in some of the projects out there with collateralized, as you know, under collateralized perhaps um, yeah. projects. But either way, let, let's let's stick on, on, on this kind of distinction between incubation and venture building. So what was the kind of flipping point for you where you stopped being kind of incubating um, and, and started just pure venture building. What is that distinction? Yeah, look, I think as an incubator, we were seeing um, too many really early stage ideas, um, you know, like ideas that, you know, didn't really have any meat on the bone. Um, so by becoming more of a venture studio, we were starting to attract more, you know, second time founders, people that may have raised a little bit of capital to build even a prototype. When we were in incubators, it was a lot of sweat equity. A lot of um, startups would not even have the capital to pay our bills. There was a lot of risk. And I guess like in a venture business, if you think of us like as a combination of a software engineering firm and a venture capital firm, um, so we already take a significant risk on the equity or the tokens that we've invested in with our own capital. Um, but we can't really take a risk on being paid for our time. We've got to pay bills. We've got to keep the team happy and, and well-fed. So we, we decided to move a slightly up market um, and do well, still early projects, but but just generally a better thought out, better funded, um, and and typically with founders that have got more pedigree. And, um, you know, the second-time founders have a different look in their eyes, right? They've they've been burnt. They know what a P&L is. You know, they, they understand what a balance sheet means. Um, and so there's not as much financial literacy that we have to sort of bring them up the curve on. Um, and I always say to people, if we're doing our job, um, then a great founder can focus on generating revenue, winning customers and winning partners, right? And that can be revenue in terms of dollars or it can be revenue in terms of po- protocol growth and token adoption. And for me, you know, those, those sort of keen entrepreneurs are generally sl- sort of, they tilt in that direction anyway. Uh, so that lets us be more of the integrator and allows us to be more of the person that gets stuff done. Uh, and they can spend less time in the weeds. So they're, they're generally the, the most productive partnerships we've had. And we see a lot more of that type of relationship as a venture business more than an incubator. So t- let's just dive into a little bit of those weeds then. So the kinds of things that you're doing, and maybe you could give us an example of where, where you can reveal, you know, I guess what you're doing. It'd be great sure. to, if you could tell us about another project where you're kind of playing that kind of role. Well, um, so a lot of our 
projects have been sort of startups, but one of the more sort of mature pieces of work we've done is we built the uh, loan origination platform for Vault Bank, which is a neo bank in Australia. Um, super proud of that. You know, it's it's very um, robust and production grade. It's you know APRA approved, so it you know obviously needs to pass all of the rules that come with banking. But effectively, we built a, a white labelled platform that allows um, a broker. Uh, or a lender to write a, sorry, to approve a mortgage in 15 minutes. So all that paperwork that you've done when you've got a mortgage, that's all basically digitized and automated to, to the extent that we can approve them very quickly. And that, and that mortgage can be settled inside of 24 hours. So that's now writing, you know, massive amount of volume, um, for a bunch of uh, banks in Australia, but specifically Vault Bank. And so that's kind of the other side of our, skill set where we can build these really big um you know that's a project we've been working on for years um mm. so so as much as we love the startups and the zero to one and, and that's definitely um you know really exciting the the enterprise stuff that we've done also shows that we can build good long-term stuff that stands up and you know is legitimate so i think i think that's always a good one to throw in there um We've built a, another project recently called Loader Finance, which is um, a, a combination of um, a SaaS platform, but also it has a cryptocurrency DeFi angle, which is not currently in production, but that's the second release. But the core, the core, the core product is effectively lending against your your cryptocurrency. So mm. if you have Bitcoin or Ethereum, or you know, they've got many pairs, but essentially you can. Um, you can deposit that in the platform and you can have uh, Aussie dollars transferred to your bank account at an LVR ratio, depending on what your risk profile is. And so it gives you some liquidity without selling the asset, which is, you know, which is great from a tax perspective, um, but also just gives you optionality if you, if you need the cash. So, you know, for us, that that's very different to Vault and Vault's very different to Synthetics, but what they all have in common is they're all um, very mature founders that have, you know, built product that have customers that sort of get it. Um, mm. and our portfolio is full of projects like that. Um, and, you know, that's why we get out of bed, to be honest. It's fun. <laughs> I bet. Um, I, I think it'd be cool for you to, um, to tell me a little bit about what challenges you have seen uh, or dealt with when it comes to using blockchain tech, because, you know, I think, you know, we've had, chats previously and, I, and we've been in similar rooms where where people you know say they want to use the these you know as you as you um, mentioned it like universe scale kind of computing um, yeah. protocols and and yet maybe they're that's not the right fit or, or maybe it is but it's not thinking about the right way what are the kind of things that you you, you butt up against and, and what are the major challenges you've seen when it comes to founders wanting to use this technology hmm. yeah look i've i've seen blockchain be compared to a spoiler on a car Right. The car in traditional software doesn't really need a blockchain, but it could make it go a bit faster. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it's that kind of optimization. That's, and, and I'm like, I don't think there's, a, I wouldn't say there's a huge amount of truth to that in every example, but, uh, but seeing it as sort of an extra to the solution that already exists is there's some truth to that in some situations. But the way I look at it is, you know, is there a trust problem that needs to be solved? Right. If, if, if there's a system that exists already in the traditional business and everybody's employed by that business, chances are there's, there's no trust problem to solve and adding, you know, complexity in the form of a blockchain is probably not a good idea. 
But, you know, if you've got a supply chain or just a value chain, doesn't matter what business it is, and all of the people in that chain need to do business with each other, but they don't work for the same company and there's, you know, there's trust, but there's also, you know, uh, a, you know a limit to which they can, you know, grant access or permission or, or even, you know, using, using the word trust again, trust that they're going to do something um, that, they, that they said they're going to do, then a blockchain might be really good. So I'll, I'll give you an example of what we're doing at the moment. So we've, um, we're building an RMBS, a residential mortgage-backed securities um, pilot right now with Vault Bank. Uh, and we're building that on this uh, blockchain that we've acquired called Red Belly Blockchain. Um, and effectively, what we saw was there are, there are so many people in the RMBS value chain that um, it, takes a lot, it takes a long time to get a deal done. Uh, when you take these securities and you, you put them in this RMBS wrapper, you can't really see what's in them today. You know, we're talking about paper, we're talking about PDFs, we're talking about spreadsheets. And so those of you on, on listening will remember the GFC, whereby, you know, we had a huge um, credit crunch and, and a huge default rate because the securities that were being sold, no one could independently verify if they were junk or not, right? You couldn't see inside of them. And so everyone in that industry has to do business together, but they don't necessarily trust each other. So what we're looking to do is build a product that effectively um, makes those black boxes transparent within reason um, and effectively digitizing the rights and obligations to those contracts on chain in a permissions um, you know, setting. Uh, and that just makes that industry far more efficient. It cuts out a bunch of middlemen. The people who do exist can move quickly and lower their marginal cost to serve. Um, and ultimately, it's a great use case for a blockchain. Now, if you took a blockchain and you, you, you know, tried to implement that at, at a fish and chip shop, not such a good idea, all right? So what I'm saying here is every time I speak to a founder, I'm really looking at what the trust problem is. I'm looking at, you know, does this in fact make your business novel? Is there something about this that, um, you know, needs to be built on a blockchain or is this simply an instrument to raise money and, and kind of, you know, use blockchain to, you know, um, sexy it up, if you like. So um, on top of all that, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. The other thing I would say is uh, besides trust, um, there is uh, performance and there is privacy. Um, And so generally you need to compromise on what data or what logic lives on that blockchain as a result of those things. Um, so we're very much still building hybrid apps, you know, and some applications are just on chain and they sort of give away scalability and they give away performance because they need trustlessness and they need decentralization and they need immutability. But then you have a bank that doesn't need that. So they're going to care more about performance and permissioned and security. So it's really different to every single project that walks through the door. Mm. Um, you know, more, more than ever, I'm seeing particularly NFTs, they have to be on a blockchain. Like you can always look at certain projects and go either way with the solution. But with NFTs, it's clearly a blockchain use case. And that's why I think that's a pretty cool one and potentially maybe even a killer app. Mm. Well, we've seen so much growth here. I've had a couple of really interesting um, founders, Aussie projects as well, like, you know, um, uh, and more to come on NFT. So, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm convinced there's a lot of ex- really interesting experimentation happening using non-fungible uh, token application, and and yeah, I agree that it's just just diving into that 
quickly on the um, the the kind of polarized or the slider, you know, the permission versus uh, scalability, the, the trust, well, I guess privacy versus scalability slider there. Do you think it will always be uh, that a trade-off? I think that an application that runs locally will always be faster than an application that is dis- distributed, regardless of blockchain. So this is the reason why in Wall Street, uh, you know, people have dark fiber running from the data center that uh you know the matching engines or you know the, the systems that are, that are um organizing these trades to their office right because mm. in their situation latency and the speed of light matters so i think we need to compare blockchain and distributed ledger in terms of its speed compare it to people and manual processing not databases i i really think that's what it is right so if you think about it today, you and I have an agreement and we have a contract and it takes forever to get this thing written. And then we get it done and we both sigh, you know, sigh of relief. And, uh, and then as soon as something in that contract is triggered, uh, it's up to both of us to go and check in our emails to make sure that we all across it, that we, 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 that some event then happens afterwards. And I think in cases like that, a blockchain is really good, um, at, at keeping track of that sort of thing. It's really good at executing the rights and obligations under that agreement. And as long as we, we're completely on the same page in advance when that contract is written and, and, and signed, then that's not controversial at all. So in that case, it's a far better solution than you and I, you know, delegating that to some administrator or, you know, some office person. So I think it's orders of magnitude more efficient and easier to use a solution in that situation than it is to compare it with blockchain because a lot of people... They go, well, look, you know, I've already got a database in AWS. Why would I do a blockchain? And they're right. They probably should just use a database. Mm. But it's the downstream. Uh, it's as soon as it touches the, 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 you know, the person at the end of that value chain that's got to do reconciliation or they've got to key something in or they've got to make a phone call. I mean, there's always going to be a human element, but there's a whole bunch of inefficiency there that can be factored out and automated with a blockchain. So it will never be as quick as a database in my mind. And if it is, then databases will just get even quicker. Um, but you should compare it to, to that type of um, you know, people problem and process problem more so than databases. That's a really interesting insight. I think perhaps it's, yeah, this kind of idea of you know, digitizing the interpersonal or interbusiness agreements, that arena that has really up until this point been, well, I mean, the law, right? It, the, the way that we, the, the legal infrastructure that supports those kinds of agreements and the manual processes there, maybe this, that's the arena for blockchain as as far as value add goes yeah for sure and look i think technically we can already do a lot of stuff but i can tell you what i'm seeing in the in the market it's much it's a much bigger challenge for companies even if they're friendly with each other to to firstly propose a consortium or a group of you know common business processes that can be factored out into a system like a dlt and i say dlt i'm talking more sort of traditional hyperledger you know quarter sort of more permissioned enterprise style uh, technologies because it's actually getting the buy-in of all of the executives in each company, all of the board of directors and maybe even shareholders and and, and letting go of part of their value proposition that everyone already does anyway and kind of doubling down on the bit that makes you different. Like there's a lot of soul searching, a lot of work you've got to do at, at a human level in each of these companies to be ready to kind of hand it over 
Because if you think about it, technology in these companies for decades has been a cost center, right? And it's about mm. building silos of data and, um, you know, everyone's got a copy of the same thing. But then you add all these people around it to reconcile and validate and, you know, verify the data as it moves back and forth between people. And that's fine. I mean, it's better than a fax machine, but there's still way more efficiency to unlock with these systems. So I think as more and more people do it in the real world, more and more people will, will follow quickly. And then it'll become a thing like the internet's a thing. And we look back on it and go, wow, why did anyone ever say this was a bad idea? You know, it just becomes a part of what we do. I think that's the perfect point uh, to, to leave our conversation. And, 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 I, and I would fully agree with you. So Tim, thank you so much for you know taking some time out of your day and tell us about what you guys have been doing and yeah, really value, value your insight there. No, no problem. It's good to be here. Thanks, mate. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller and this has been the Crypto Frontier.